Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today we're, we're looking at, at Genesis chapter 41. And for the past little bit, we've been, look, we've been following a guy named Joseph. And Joseph uh, kind of went from a bad situation to a worse situation to a worse situation, right? And so Joseph was his father's favorite son, which meant he was hated by his brothers. And because he was hated by his brothers, they sold him as a slave. As a slave, he then was being blessed by God and he was doing a good job as, as what it, where he was. And then he was accused of something he didn't even do. And so he was thrown into prison. And so then he's there in prison and he helps some guys out. He interprets a dream for them. And he's like, hey, remember me when you get out of here? And then what we ended with last week was, and they forgot all about him. And so Joseph seems to be this guy that just can't get anything going his way. There just doesn't seem to be anything that will help Joseph. But then we come to today's passage and we get to the good news, the good situation. Uh, last week, Dave told me, he said his, his title for, for this uh, part of scripture would be that uh, man's setbacks are God's setup. Um, is that right, Dave? Did I remember it correctly? All right. So, um, and so that's kind of what we see here is that God has put Joseph in the exact place where he wants Joseph to be able to do what he's about to do in today's passage. So let's jump in uh, to Genesis 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when he told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. (laughs) Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that you, to of you that, that you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I've never seen in the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first uh, seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at, at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And all of the magicians, uh, I told all the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are, are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. And the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, but it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So we have this whole account here and Pharaoh has these two dreams. They freak him out. Um, there's cows eating cows and corn eating corn and um, skinny and fat and he doesn't know what's going on. He tells all of his people in his religious circle, all of, all of his magicians, all of his encanters, all of his people that would have been responsible for interceding in the Egyptian God system of all the multiple gods, he tells them and they're like, we got nothing. We don't know what this means. And then the cupbearer remembers, he's like, oh yeah, dreams. <laughs> I remember a guy, I, I know a guy. So they pull Joseph up out of the pit, they clean him up, they bring him in. And what does Joseph do right from the start? He doesn't say, yeah, I got this for you, Pharaoh. No, he says, only God can do this. God will give you the interpretation of this dream. That even as he's given interpretation of the dream, he, he once again is given glory to God, saying, saying, God is the one that can do this. Verse 16 there, I think, is, is really uh, a key verse um, in this. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph's like, I don't get credit for what I'm about to do because it's actually just God coming through me. And because Joseph was in tune with God, because he was walking with God, because he was faithful with God, he was able to do this. He, he knew God already. It wasn't like all of a sudden in the situation, he's like, oh, I got I to figure out who God is. I got to figure out how to hear from God. I got to figure out how to talk to him. I've, I've figured out how to discern these things. No, it, it was already part of his life. 
And so as a part of his life, he was able to do this by God's power and by God's power working in him. And so what we see here is the fact that God in his love and his mercy is showing Pharaoh, hey, you're about to have some really good years, but then after that, you're going to have some really bad years. In his mercy, he's given a warning. And we might say, okay, well, that's all good and well, but what does that really have to do with us, right? I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't had any dreams of cows eating cows. Um, so, is, you know, do we have to worry about a famine coming up here? And my answer to that is God's kind of warned us of other things that are to come. And just in the way that God warned Pharaoh, he gives us warnings in scripture about things that are to come still for us as well. In Hebrews 9, in verse 27, it says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Scripture is clear, we have this life, we have one life, and then after that, we die and face judgment. We stand before a holy and righteous God, and we have to give an account. And we have to, to give an account before him. And God has made this very clear. He's given us all the warning, all the warning signs. We, I mean, many of us, when we, we read that story, even if we maybe didn't know the story, we might could piece together, yeah, like seven and seven, that's probably in lean eating fat. Yeah, this could be like a famine eating. Yeah, yeah okay, I can, I can kind of get this. Well, so many of us today, God has warned us about what's to come. And yet we look at that and we say, eh, you know, that's all good and well, but I don't want to really worry about that. That, that, you know, that, that doesn't really sound too good to me. And I, I choose to just see God as a loving God. And so if God is just a loving God, then, you know, when we face judgment for him, then he's just going to show us love. And the thing that he's made clear to us is, yes, he is a loving God. And because he is a loving God, he's also a just God. And because of that, because he's a loving, just God, yes, he has to punish sin. And yes, he did show a way of escape for us. Because the fact of what scripture says is also true in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all mess up. Kids, every one of us messes up. Who in here has ever messed up? Right? All of us. We're all in that boat. And so when we come before a holy and perfect and righteous God, what is demanded is holy and perfect, righteous perfection to be in his, in his presence. So it seems like a hopeless situation. It seems like, oh no, what can we do? But then Hebrews 9 goes on to verse 28. It says, so Christ. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. So the answer to our sin, the answer to our problem is Jesus. And it is through Jesus that we have hope. It is through Jesus that we can be forgiven. It is through Jesus that our sins can be taken away. It's through him that when we place our faith in him, we ask him, we say, yes, Lord, make me yours. I want, I want to be forgiven of these bad things and I want to be washed clean and made like you. When we do that in our life, when that's, that's where we are, then we know that we are ready to stand and face judgment before God. Because we don't stand before him based on our merit. We don't go in there saying, look at the great list of things I did, God. It's pretty good. 
pretty impressive. See, see how good I was. No, we go before him and we say, we have no hope except for the fact that Jesus has cleansed us. We have no hope except for the fact that Jesus took my place on that cross. I believe in the price that he paid and I believe that his blood has washed me and made me clean and made me whole. And that's our only hope. That's the only hope for anybody. Jesus is the only way. There's no other name under heaven by which man might be saved. It's only through Jesus. We say, well, wow, that sounds really exclusive. That sounds really narrow-minded. Like, that's not, I mean, there's, there's a lot of other people that believe different things. Well, if God is a loving God and he's warned us, the question is, do we listen to his warning or not? So I encourage you, heed his warning, heed his instruction, because out of his love for us, God warns people of bad things that are to come. So what we see here with Pharaoh, that's what we see throughout scripture pointing to the future for us, that God gives these warnings. He's saying, hey, here's, here's what lies ahead if you keep on the path where you are without Jesus. It's not good. But out of my love, there is another way. Out of my love, there's a way around this. And so, um, you know, some people will say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? To which I say, how can a righteous God not send people to hell? And it's because God is both loving and righteous that he has done what he has done and he's made it clear to us in scripture and he's given us all the warnings. He's made it so clear and he's laid it out before us that yes, this is the way that it's gonna happen. So he's given us a solution. Equally, Joseph gives Pharaoh a solution. Back in Genesis 41, it says this. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. So the land may not perish through the famine. And so Joseph says like, hey, yeah, here's God's warning, but also here's how, how you can be prepared. God's warned you, now here's, here's steps you can take. Here's how you can, can have everything in order for that. And so... Joseph does this, and we see that with God's warnings comes solutions. We want to give God a bad rap because he's saying, hey, bad things are coming. But ultimately, he's saying bad things are coming so that he can help us out of his love, out of his mercy for us. And with his warnings come solutions. He says, believe in me, have faith, repent of your sins, enter my kingdom, Enter my rest. That's where Jesus invites us in. He invites us not to a life of legalism and rules and do's and don'ts. He invites us into a place of peace and rest in him. 
And in that, we find hope. In that, we find peace. And so the question is, when, when, we're, when we're facing a warning and we're given a solution, it's still on us to decide, are we going to take it? Right? Like Pharaoh could have easily said at this point, he could, say, he could say, you know what? Seven years are good. That sounds pretty good to me. I don't know how many years I got left in my reign. Maybe seven years are good. I might be done about that time and leave that to the next guy. Don't have to worry about it. Don't have to worry about any of this. But he doesn't say that. Instead, it says this. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne, I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. And thus he set him over the land of Egypt. And moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So I don't know if you remember, but the story where, where Joseph's brothers ultimately sell him into slavery, he was 17 at the time. So this has been 13 years of God putting Joseph in these situations and Joseph going from situations where it seemed to go from bad to worse to all of a sudden now he's second in command of all of Egypt in a day, overnight, something only God could do. And we look at this and I want to ask you like if, if, if you had the choice and, and you had to go through 13 years of horribleness to then have incredible blessing at the end, would you take it? I don't know. I don't know if I would. But the good thing is, God doesn't always tell us all those details. We get to trust him in the journey. We get to trust him in the steps. And those 13 years were 13 years, I believe, of character formation and education for Joseph that prepared him for what God had in store for him in the future. I believe that he was ready and had the character needed to do the job of him because of what happened in those 13 years. When you've gone through those kind of things, it shapes you, it molds you, and God makes you into who he wants you to be. And so we see this in Joseph. And what we can take from this is the fact that when we listen to God and we walk with God, the end results are usually pretty good. 
Every step along the way won't be easy, but the end results are well worth it. The end results for Joseph were great. The end results if we're a follower of Jesus and we go to stand before judgment in the end are great. They're amazing. They're beyond what we can even imagine on how good they are. And so the end results are are well worth it when we listen to and walk with and follow God. The passage goes on. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of those uh, seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt. And put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food uh, from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He's saying, hey, my life is so good now that all that I went through, it's almost as an afterthought to me. I no longer dwell in that. I no longer live in those hardships. My life is so blessed. In the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He said, hey, God is even blessing me in the middle of the place where things have gone so badly. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, and what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians Um, uh, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the land. Now, I know some of us have very strong opinions when it comes to government. What we see here is a pretty big government. Do you see what Joseph did? He taxed the people one-fifth of all that they produced. And then when they needed it, he sold it back to them. I'm just saying what it says. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Saying what it says. So, what we see here is ultimately those people in the end didn't really care because they had food to eat in the middle of seven years of famine. They were saved. They were provided for. Where there was no hope, there was hope. If it hadn't have been for Joseph in the dream and interpreting the dream and wisely taking in stuff over the seven good years, they would have had nothing. There would have been starvation. There would have been death. And so what we see in this story is a story of God's mercy. Of God in the midst of him warning, also showing, hey, here is a way to be saved. Here's a way that you can be okay. And that's the same that we have today in our warnings about the future. 
we have that, hey, here is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is so good. Come to him. Come to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Give your life to him. Be faithful to him. We're going to close today by reading uh, from Acts chapter 4. This is Peter preaching, and he says this. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that salvation is found in your name. We thank you so much for warning us, warning us of bad things that are to come if we don't follow you. Lord, I pray for anyone who, who does not know you as their Lord and Savior that maybe this day, maybe this moment, they might give their life to you. They might say, I believe, I am yours, and turn their lives over to you. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for the story of Joseph and the example that it is for us and how we can see how even in, in tough things in our lives, ultimately you're at work and you're taking us to the place that you want us to be. We thank you for the fact that we can see your goodness in these things. I pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Please reveal yourself.